0: This week, Andy tries to clean up a really, really bad mess.
1: Yeah, it was kind of weird. I uh, woke up the other day in this strange room that was just covered in blood and urine, and I don't know how I got there. And uh, yeah, I had to clean that up. And you had to make everything yourself to clean it
0: up. Well, of course, that's how how I live my life. Uh Uh-oh. And, we talk with experts whose job is to remediate the worst messes imaginable.
2: I can handle blood, eyeballs, brains, all that stuff.
0: Let's dig into this a little bit, all right. In today's modern world, we are always in such a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items,
1: and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding, have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted.
0: How's it going, Andy? Not bad. How are you, Taylor? Doing well. Enjoyed this little break we took. Yeah. Yeah. Got some stuff done. Yep.
1: What have you been up to? I've been working on making a huge mess and then trying to clean it up. What kind of mess? A murder slash hoarding slash meth situation.
0: That, that sounds illegal. <laughs> uh, we haven't gotten in trouble yet. Okay. So <laughs> just waiting to put out that video evidence. Yeah. <laughs> so today we're talking about, for all these true crime podcast fans how you'd actually clean up these crime scenes kind of the aftermath
1: of the murder and solving it and all of that now you got a huge mess how do you get rid of that so what are the main the main things from the scene you're worried about cleaning up Um, yeah so we tried to get some of a variety of some of the toughest things to clean so the big one will be blood they'll be all over the wall and in the carpet then there's cat urine which is a surprising challenge to actually clean the easiest way to get it was actually buy some bobcat urine online. Mm. Apparently it's used to keep predators away and stuff. It doesn't quite smell the same, but I think it's pretty similar. So you didn't just lock Dobby in there for a while? <laughs> Probably could have. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's pretty well behaved, though, actually. That's good. <laughs> then we have, like, ink and grease, pig fat. We have like, rust and just general chemistry stuff. Um, built up kind of a mock meth lab. And the interesting thing is, people always say whenever I do chemistry stuff, they're like, oh, it looks like he's got a meth lab. I'm like, nah, it's probably a whole different stuff. I was like looking up, like, what are the supplies
0: you need to make meth? I'm like, oh, I got pretty much all that right here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, like that's the premise of Breaking Bad is like, he was just a high school chemistry teacher and he just had everything he needed at school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, probably the most difficult thing is
1: just the pseudofed, right? Which uh, I was trying to grow actually. <laughs> it comes from a flower that uh, unfortunately never grew. Otherwise, I would have everything to make meth. That's crazy. It's just that easy. Uh, if it's that easy, it's right. just a lot of common supplies for chemistry. Yeah. Okay, so what is Sudafed grown from? Like, what is that? It's a flower that's called Mormon tea. Okay. It's uh It's actually an herbal remedy that was used for like, treating cold, and then they realized that, like, oh, there's an actual active compound that we can extract,
0: and that was turned into Sudafed. Oh. That's, okay, so I always get sinus headaches, and so I always take a couple ibuprofen and a couple Sudafed. Yeah. So that that's super fascinating. Yeah. Um, besides the breaking bad angle. <laughs> so, Andy, you have a huge mess to clean up, and you took it upon yourself to make all the supplies to clean it with.
1: Uh, yeah, so we've been kind of collecting stuff for cleaning products. It's been kind of an episode on the background that we've been meaning to do. And uh, wasn't sure the most interesting way to cover it. And we decided, well, let's make it about a murder. We got connected with a local crime scene cleanup company. And they kind of explained how they do it. And uh, so we're going to apply their knowledge and try and clean up a simulated murder scene we've constructed. And it's kind
0: of the worst-case scenario of having to clean a room. Yeah, so putting your your homemade cleaners to the real test. Yeah. So what substances did you make?
1: We have a pretty wide selection of options, actually. Just uh, some things we've made previously in other videos, uh, and some other ones are relatively simple to make. So we have pumicite, mm-hmm. uh, which is crushed pumice stone. And it's actually an old mine we visited for it was an old Dutch cleanser. It was an old company that used to make it. Ooh. Um, so it's basically like a scouring powder. It's uh, abrasive cleaner. Basically, it's just for scrubbing. It was hard to clean stuff. Interestingly, it was described as a talc mine. So it was originally going to go there to try and get talc, but it's actually pumiceite. What's talc? Uh, like talcum powder, like baby powder. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> so like chalk, chalkish stuff. Obviously, not chalkish. chalk-ish.
1: It's, yeah, it's its, a, it's, a, it's a own compound, and recently. Rumored to cause cancer. Oh, <laughs> this is like the second mine I've we've gone to that's been mislabeled. Because the one went to mine that had uh, gypsum, but it was originally described as having mica, which oh. is not the same. <laughs> no. So we went and explored that mine and collected some of my own. Um, so that's the probably the most interesting collection one we did. Then in that trip to California, we also got the borax, which I previously used for glass, mean now I'm going to use to actually do some cleaning. Then other things I've made in the past, like vinegar, alcohol, baking soda, are uh, all things i am using to help clean. I made some acetone, which I actually started for this process of making sunscreen when I did the sunscreen episode, and then realized I didn't have the actual ingredients I needed and kind of scratched it. So it's been kind of nice to finish up that, that chemical process I started. Yeah. And then I also made some bleach and some lye and oxalic acid out of mm-hmm. rhubarb leaves. Ooh. Which is actually one of the things that makes rhubarb leaves supposedly toxic. Although you need to eat a lot of them for it to be any, anywhere near toxic. So it's a lot of chemistry. Yeah, mm. a fair amount. It's, I mean, it's cleaners. It's chemistry. Um, lots of boiling, lots of bubbling. Yep. Filtering, straining. I feel like that's half of the series is just me straining stuff. Okay, so, but I am curious. How do you make bleach? It's actually pretty simple. I did a process of electrolysis where you run, run electricity through it. So I have one jar of just distilled water, one jar of salt water, and then I have a salt bridge, which is just a U-shaped tube, a U-tube, if you will, yes. <laughs> filled with salt, salt water, and then you run current through one and the other, and then I just let it run overnight, and then you have one of them turns into bleach, and the other one turns into lye.
0: That's crazy.
3: Yeah.
1: Chemistry is crazy. Yeah, so for some expert help, we met with some professionals with Scene Clean, uh, met with Jen and Nate to get some advice on how they approach these challenges.
0: So Andy's challenge was to clean up a bunch of blood, a bunch of cat urine, and some chemical residue from the fake Breaking Bad lab. So, to get more expertise, we talked to the experts at Scene Clean, Jen and Nate. Um, my name is Nate Berg, and I'm the president and founder of Scene Clean.
2: I'm Jenny Berg, I'm the VP of Scene Clean.
0: So, Jen gave us an overview of what their company actually does.
2: And we do biohazard remediation. So, we clean up after death and medical emergencies, unattended death, blood spills, crime, extreme hoarding cases, um, stuff like that.
1: So, how do you get into a field like this?
2: So we got into it actually because Nate was a paramedic. So he saw the scenes as they were happening, unfolding, and then wondered what happened afterwards. And and then I kind of came along after a couple of years and went into the marketing and community relations aspect where we do outreach and volunteer work and stuff like that. But it it was born from his background in in, uh, medicine. Okay. Yeah.
1: What might people not expect about this business?
2: people do expect it to be more glamorous than it is. I, I think it's as interesting as you think it would be, but I don't think it is as, you know, compelling. There are there you know, during the process of a cleanout, there could be a days or or weeks where we're cleaning and it's not all super interesting. You know, it's mm-hmm. not all CSI, yeah. you know, cool stuff. Um sometimes it's just a lot of laborious cleaning and and um, small tasks to get the scene remediated, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not it's not all like It's not all fascinating.
1: Yeah. (laughs) How many days does it usually take to clean up site?
2: You know, it really depends on if if it's a decomp. So it could be weeks. But if it's a death scene or a a crime scene, usually within days it's remediated. Um, That's not to say that there's not a rebuild that needs to come afterwards. So it's left, you know, with carpet torn up and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. the actual remediation of the blood and the biohazard, you know, usually a few days.
1: Okay. Uh, What would you say your most common type of cleanup is?
2: I think our most common is decomp. So it's delayed discovery. So we're called, if someone dies and it's not discovered until later that day, it's not a huge deal, but if they die and it's not discovered until later that month or later Mm -hmm. that year, there's problems that come with that. That seems to be our most common right now, yeah.
1: Okay. What would you say the worst job you get is?
2: You know, my answer for that is usually anything that has poop in it. (laughs) So um, I can handle blood, Eyeballs, brains, all that stuff. But we had one that was a uh, we called poop mountain because it, <laughs> the the guy kept pooping in the toilet without I don't know if you can if you guys want to use this info but into a mountain so he didn't flush it was it was like a really gross ice cream soft serve so um. that not a fan of the poop
1: <laughs> was it toilet broken or he just.
2: I don't think it was broken. I think he, that was just something he started and he kind of ran with it. But, um, um, everybody's got to have a hobby. Ever, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a new one. So um, yeah, I prefer not to deal with poop uh, if I can avoid it. But you know, it's a part of the job quite regularly. So
1: mm-hmm. uh, in like a hoarding situation, what mm-hmm. type of things do you have to clean up?
2: That varies quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. It, it, depending on the level of hoarding, um, how long they've been there, stuff like that. You see a lot of books, you see a lot of collectibles. Mm. Hoarding is a mental health concern and diagnosis. So that factors in and that factors into their history, what they hoard. So, I mean, I found 30 crock pots at, at a house and it just so happened that, that meal prep for her family was really important to her. And so that was something that she was compelled to hoard. Um, mm. But you find every, everything from Books to dolls, crockpots, lots of food hoarding. And I've found food that was hoarded, you know, for 40 years. So, uh-huh. yeah. I, I don't think there's anything that we haven't found on a hoarding job. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes it's weapons. That's always a scary one. Um, we have, we've had to have them removed during the process. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, it's not ideal if we shoot ourselves in the face. So yeah. that, can be yeah. make, that can be nerve-wracking.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you deal with a lot of, like, animal hoarding
2: we deal with some, yeah. a lot of times when we come in, the animal hoarding is resolved, they've taken the pets out and they've been taken by shelters, but we see the, you know, the after effects or, or we see what had happened while the animal was there. So, mm-hmm. 40 litter boxes or, um, you know, sometimes we'll find dead animals and stuff like that and that's always sad, yeah.
1: What is the most difficult thing to clean up usually?
2: Ooh, it's not blood, cat pee. Yeah. Yeah. So cat pee is terrible to clean up. Yeah. It crystallizes. You have to use special enzymes on it. If it gets into cracks or carpeting, it's almost impossible to ever completely remediate. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's also, you know, like heat in the summer and it comes back. And so cat pee is definitely the most difficult thing overall to fully remediate. Yeah. I'd say.
1: Blood and gore isn't too difficult to clean up?
2: No. I mean, it's very simple. If you find a skull, you you know, you're in PPE and you pick up the skull and you Mm -hmm. put it in medical waste. I found um, brains, eyeballs, they just get scooped up and put in medical waste. They're not especially difficult. They're just not probably for everyone. You know, there's people that are like, I don't know how you do that, but it's just like cleaning anything else up. You just pick it up and it goes into special trash and you're good. I don't think everyone could do it, Um, but uh, it's not especially hard to Get
1: rid of. If there's blood splattered. to usually just remove it or do you wash it?
2: Um, so blood splatter is, you know, a little more time consuming. If it dries on a wall, then, you know, there's steps to cleaning that up. Mm -hmm. If it's cooling and it's still fresh, that's easier. So like a blood spray on a wall, for instance, would need like a multi-step process to get rid of it completely. And then you'd have to do some testing afterwards to ensure that it was done correctly, but not super hard. Just, it is just labor intensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially if it's mixed with something so... For instance, if it was you know a gun that was used that created the splatter, mm-hmm. um, it's probably mixed with other things. And those things would be harder to get rid of than the blood. So like skull fragments, hair, in walls, brain, mm-hmm. uh, fat, that stuff's harder than the actual blood itself.
1: Mm, okay. well, what are some hazards you face in doing this job?
2: Well, exposure to bodily fluids, so mm-hmm. we don't go in knowing what we're being exposed to, and that can be a little bit scary, so we don't know the person's background. Mm-hmm. So any, anything that you'd be exposed to in a hospital setting, we're exposed to as well. You wear and a lot of
1: protective equipment?
2: Depending on the scene, for sure. C. diff is one that requires quite a bit of protective equipment, and it's especially hard to remediate. So that one's like full respirator, full suit, you know, boots, all of that stuff, taking all the precautions to not take it out of the space that you're cleaning and using mm-hmm. the right products to clean it. We're also exposed to things like fentanyl or opioids. And so we just did a class where we learned how to auto-inject ourselves or our co-workers if we need to treat ourselves after an accidental exposure. Ah. Yeah.
1: So generally you recommend being a professional for challenging cleanups like this?
2: I recommend being a professional to clean up biohazards. Yeah, it's, it's best. Yeah. Yeah, you can't just go in there with like a mop and a bottle of pine Sol and go to town. Yeah. It's not going to work out very well for you. And I'd hate to think of what you'd be exposed to, mm-hmm. you know, because you just never know.
0: Because Andy was ultimately curious about creating some of his own cleaning solutions, Nate and Jenny walked us through the different types of cleaners they used and the specific ones they use for the tougher jobs. We like we like to stay as green as we can for as many products as we can.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, every chemical that we use uh, is on the shelf with the exception of uh, a tear gas remediation agent. I don't carry that in stock because it's, it needs to be fresh. So mm-hmm. when we have a job, they'll, they'll mix us up some.
2: So we have degreasers. We have sanitizing products. We have, we have products that we call indicators that show us whether or not there's blood still remaining or not. And if there is, it reacts to the blood and shows us that where it still is. It's like the CSI stuff. It it reminds me of that. It's not like the handprint stuff, but like if there was blood here uh, or or you couldn't see it anymore, but you were wondering if you got everything off, you Mm -hmm. would spray it and it would bubble up. And that bubbling would tell you that there was still something left from that blood exposure. Okay. Then you'd know you have to keep going at it. Mm -hmm. So.
3: This is in our liquid odor control, one of two. We actually have a proprietary odor
2: control agent that we have
3: here uh, that works in a little bit different level Okay. And then we have two different types of sanitizers or disinfectants. We use uh, an enzyme, primarily we're using an enzyme with cat urine. I think Jen mentioned that before. Cat yeah. urine is kind of our nemesis here, which is funny considering all the things we do. Yeah. That is the toughest thing we have to remediate is cat urine. So that's pretty much what we use the, the enzyme for. The paradox, this is pretty specific for C. diff. It's a peroxide-based product. So that's really the only thing we use that for it will work if we have to sanitize soft goods so couches curtains that's the best product for that okay uh then you got regular hydrogen peroxide we use that mainly to you we use as an indicator so i know jen mentioned it before if we're looking if there's uh, blood or any kind of body fluids it'll react to that we have to be careful when we use that though because if we use too much of it it actually burns off the uh, the protein that we need Mm that it reacts to. Okay. And then the bottom, this guy here, this is our workhorse. We use this for pretty much everything we, we clean. It's a peroxide-based cleaner. It's very, very strong. Uh, it Works really well if we have blood cleanup on concrete or pavement. Mm-hmm. We, we mix it up and make it really thick and foamy and you can spray it and literally watch it pull blood out of the surface so it's pretty it's pretty cool to see happen that's hydrogen peroxide based mostly yep it's a peroxide based okay uh and there's special chemicals used for like a meth lab cleanup the meth lab cleaning actually this 300 here we'll use that for the meth lab uh there's really meth lab cleanup when we're doing it the the products are gone so the the chemicals that they're using to mix the meth that's gone that's taken away by hazardous waste company we're focused on the structure, so we come in, we HEPAVAC all the surfaces, we wash it with the, the, uh, the 300 mm. and the degreaser. Mm. Two-step process, not, they, we don't mix them, but yeah. we'll start with the degreaser, we'll follow up with the, the 300, uh, and that gets foamed on. We got a big foamer that we can take all over the house and spray it on the surfaces that sits for about 10 minutes and mm-hmm. then we'll rinse it off. And once that's done, then we have to retest to see where the levels are. Hopefully, it's it's passing. If mm-hmm. not, then you just start the process all over again. Same process for tear gas cleanup. Okay. Almost exactly the same. So, is it mostly like chemical
1: spills you're cleaning up then, or what? What is commonly
3: for the from the meth lab? Yeah. Uh, no, what you're what we're trying to clean up is the residue. So, if they're cooking it, okay. it's off gassing, and you're getting you know the surfaces might get coated with. Uh, uh, the chemicals that they use okay. uh, minnesota and a lot of the other states they'll also consider the usage an issue as long as if it's above a certain mm. threshold okay so in fact we're we're working on one right now where she had a, a roommate who mm. was smoking meth in his room mm. he wasn't making it he was just smoking it but the the room tested high enough that it failed mm. so Unfortunately, it ended up getting pulled into the ductwork in the whole house. So we're going to have to remediate the whole house. Oh, okay. But it's not at the high levels of a, a lab where you might see a level of around 300 in a lab or more, mm-hmm. whereas this one was down to about 10 to 20 and passing in Minnesota's 0.5 to 1.5. Hmm. Just depends on whether, again, it was being made or being yeah. used. Okay. So a lot of the cleaning solutions you use are like
1: pretty complex, not stuff you'd buy at the store for cleaning your house
2: I wouldn't want to I would want to try to make my own yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the stuff that we buy um, is professional grade and requires mm-hmm. you to be you know um, in this industry mm-hmm. so it can't be necessarily duplicated in a consumer product yeah but they do they are similar to other consumer products just maybe the um, potencies are different and mm-hmm. some of those products wouldn't be available commercially because they, they wouldn't really necessarily be advised to be used by a consumer because of the things they'd have to do to protect themselves. So mm-hmm. like proper respiratory protection and stuff like that. Mm. use bleach a lot? We use a fair amount of bleach. Not a lot. Bleach works for a fair amount of things, but it's also super corrosive. So it's mm-hmm. not ideal on certain surfaces. If you have a non-porous surface, it can work for, for certain things, but it also could tear apart countertop or wood furniture and stuff like that. You're obviously not going to use it on soft goods. So it has its drawbacks. Okay. Yeah.
0: Then Nate walked us through one of their trailers with all the tools they use to remediate these biohazardous situations. So,
3: this is the inside of, we have two trailers like this. Uh, mm-hmm. They're set up pretty similar. Any tool you can think of to remediate a scene, it's, uh, trailers are basically set up, chemicals on one side, uh, large brooms, uh, levels, scrapers, that sort of thing is behind you there. Mm-hmm. And then right behind you, Lights, pump sprayers. Down here is an air-to-air exchanger. Uh, Carpet spotter if we have small areas on a carpet that we need to extract blood out of or a couch. Mm -hmm. Then you've got paper towels, our our red bags that we throw our biohazard waste into, which ultimately then get put into a a box and brought back here to consolidate and ultimately taken for disposal. Mm -hmm. Suits. We have a non-bio suit and a bio suit. The only difference between the two, this one's fluid, and the blue ones down here have some fluid uh, impervious capabilities. Okay. Uh, so they're not waterproof or fluid proof. They will eventually leak, but at least they they resist to some degree.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: The non-bio suits we'll use those for cleaning up something where it's maybe really dusty, mm. or there's um, like an animal cleanup, and we just don't you know, want to get the, the dust on our suits later. So we'll yeah. put those on. And then really the rest of the trailer is just all of our various tools. Uh, this side of the chair here, we've got all our PPE or personal protection equipment: gloves, masks, knee pads. Uh, these cans here, we use these for our hoarding cleanouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, just fill up ninety-five gallon trash cans and haul things out and bring it out to the dumpster. Then down on on this end of it, we have uh, fans. If we need to ventilate a structure while we're while we're cleaning, we might create a, maybe a negative pressure and and have. Uh, the home vented we've got a couple different versions of ozone machines ozone we use that when we're trying to control odor it mm-hmm. actually oxidizes um, down to the molecular level and that's how it kills the odor hmm. uh, there's one that gets plugged into an oxygen concentrator it's literally the same thing that you might see someone that's on home oxygen mm-hmm. same same concept and then there's another version of it here that does not use oxygen the biggest difference between the two is this one's affected by uh, humidity in the air, mm-hmm. and this one is not. Hmm. So if it's really warm in the summer and it's, it's above 62% humidity, yeah. we'll shy away from using that machine and go to this one. We have a HEPA vacuum. Mm-hmm. It went out on job this morning with another vehicle, so it's not there. But yeah, really, the, the trailer's got anything we can possibly use. There's been stuff that's been added and taken away over the years, uh, but we should be able to do Pretty much everything we need to out of this trailer. So do you find it easier
1: or harder to clean up sites in the winter versus summer?
3: That is a mixed bag. Yeah. And summertime, you have the heat, and when we're wearing those suits, it's it's like wearing saran wrap. Yeah. And so the, the companies that do this down south, God bless them, because <laughs> because it, it gets really hot, sweaty. Uh, so obviously in the wintertime, it makes it a lot easier for us. But we mm-hmm. have the problem that they don't have down south where our chemicals can freeze. Oh. So there's, there's, yeah, there's always that that element. Um, if there's a clean out outside, yeah. it, makes it makes it even more difficult. Uh-huh. So we try and melt the area if there's snow, if it's frozen and, and heat up the ground to some degree mm-hmm. and before we try and clean it. Hmm. But hmm. we're constantly, depending on how cold it is, we're constantly, our yeah. chemicals freeze as soon as it yeah. hits the ground. So it gets tricky. <laughs>
1: How do you tell when something's clean or clean enough?
2: That's a really good question. Um, So we use an ATP um, tester, and that can be swabbed on a surface. And the reading that gives us back is an indicator on if the surface is sanitized or not. Besides the indicator, which gives us an idea of like the physical, if we've gotten everything physically off the uh, wall or space or surface. Uh, the ATP machine is a is a good indicator of whether or not there's anything remaining too that we might not be able to see. The first the first time you test, it's always going to be something's going to be there mm-hmm. um, because you can't see everything.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but you, after usually two or three tries, you know you're you're getting there, and you do the test, and it mm-hmm. tells you whether or not you're on the right track or not. Uh, it's a it's it, it's a helpful tool because. Um, you know, insurance companies ask the same question, like, how do we know that you remediate this properly? Well, this is what the ATP test said before, and this is what it's saying after. And mm-hmm. and then you know, you have some concrete proof that, you know, you did your job. Mm-hmm.
1: Are you usually able to get it, like, 100% removed, no smell or any lingering?
2: Right, that's the goal. Yeah, definitely no odor. If there's, mm-hmm. an, you know, if there's an odor, there's a source to that odor, that means something's still there. So you definitely don't want to... Yeah, there's never there's never really a reason for there to be any lingering odors besides maybe from the chemicals or from like the ozone treatment, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's a possibility, something temporarily still there, but nothing from the actual scene. Okay. Yeah.
0: While we were talking about these chemicals and these different ways to clean up these crazy substances, it was really easy to lose the fact that oftentimes these are really tragedies that happen. So Jen talked a little bit more about that angle. What's your favorite part of the job?
2: Uh, my favorite part of the job is working with the clients. So when they call, I'm their point of contact a lot of times from that first call to kind of completing the project. Mm-hmm. And I take a lot of pride in working with them and comforting them during a difficult time. It's an industry where you're working with people who are dealing with mental illness or trauma. You know, one of the mm-hmm. two is is factoring in somewhere. And I feel like that's something that I'm good at and that I hope to help people with
1: what would you say the most interesting part of the job is
2: i mean the scenes themselves can be pretty interesting but you have to also kind of have a focus too when i first went to scenes i would kind (laughs) of look around and you know try to figure out like what happened and you know well they must have been stabbed this way because the spread i mean i was like dexter (laughs) um but that's not an ideal way to look at it because that bring that Goes home with you, mm. so you really have to focus in on what the task at hand is, and um, that's interesting enough. It's interesting work. Mm-hmm. I, I've never walked onto a crime scene and been like, "Eh, this is yawn." <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, "Okay, what can we do here? How can we make this better?" It's mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot more boring ways to spend your day, that's for sure, and you're not stuck in an office, which is probably the Worst thing I can think of. Yeah. You know, you're out there doing stuff and everything's a little bit different, you know, than the day before. So mm-hmm. to me, that's the best part.
1: Is there any specific scenes you've been to that you're able to talk about? Or
2: yeah. <laughs> I already told you my poop mountain story. What more <laughs> do you want? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of interesting suicides, but they're tragic. So I usually mm-hmm. try to file those away uh, yeah. and not talk about those. Crime scenes aren't especially... Easy to uh, deal with either, but yeah. there was one where, they were, where a couple was in a brawl, and she was found in a closet with a knife sticking out of her head. And we had to clean that up, and sh- there was actually a handprint on the wall from where oh. she was sitting. Not, you, not what you want to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had in the process been stabbed as well mm-hmm. but had stumbled out of the apartment building and was found on the on the um, entryway oh. of the apartment building and he lived yeah. but his uh, schmeckle was almost cut off <laughs> so he was bleeding from the oh. from the crotch when he was found that one wasn't uninteresting uh, it was just <laughs> you could piece together the whole scene. Yeah. So you could see where he stumbled, you could see where she went to grab a knife. Like, yeah. you know, you could put it together. Yeah. Uh, Are
1: there scenes where like, you have no idea what happened? It's just a huge mystery.
2: No, we usually know what happened. People like to talk. It's, it's usually one of the more interesting things that happened to someone in that time period, so they're finding out everything they can about mm-hmm. what happened, and then they're passing it along to you. Whether or not we're getting the exact story, the accurate story yeah. or not, but we, we do know or we can put together what happened for the most part. So if someone was stabbed, it looks different than if they were shot. You know, mm-hmm. we usually know what they used by how things are displayed to us, mm-hmm. so...
1: Generally, if there's a crime scene, the bodies and weapons have all been removed by the police and such?
2: Yep, the weapons are removed, the bodies are removed, the, they have to clear the scene. Yeah.
0: That was a lot of really crazy scenes they described. Yeah. I I was surprised, like, it makes sense, but that, you know, people who die alone in their house that take months to be discovered. That's, yeah. I'm glad I don't have to clean that up for my job. Yeah, they, they have some pretty thick skin. Yeah, yeah, that could be a whole conversation in itself. What were the differences with the products you had and what they use? Well, they have like very specialized stuff. Um, they have a lot of
1: enzyme-based cleaners, which is a little bit too complicated for something to make myself from scratch. But they did use things like citric acid, which I didn't use, but I have made and could have used and then bleach was a big thing that they used, but also hydrogen peroxide, which is actually really difficult to make from scratch. So that was something that would have been nice to make, but wasn't on the table for me, because it's it's very complicated. Not for this round of crime. Yeah, save for the next murder. Yeah. How do you expect your cleaning products to perform? Uh, I think that bleach and lye are going to be pretty effective. I think individually, each of the compounds are, are pretty pretty potent stuff I've been able to produce, so I think I'm going to have a decent chance. Um, I'm not going to have the enzymes, which is going to be really important for like the blood and cat urine. Um, I think cat urine might be the one where I, I struggle the most to actually get it out just because of how they described it and how difficult cat urine it can be to get out. Um, the blood will be interesting because I'm also going to be able to test it afterwards with the whole f- phenol spray, mm-hmm. and we can do the whole CSI thing and see there was actually a murder somebody tried to cover up. Did you make anything to sanitize it? Uh, yeah, we got, got acetone and alcohol and lye, trawl, um, and the bleach itself are all sanitizers, I believe. So we're also going to do some uh, petri dishes to grow some cultures and see how well it was able to kill any bacteria that were there.
0: While we were there uh, interviewing uh, Jen and Nate, it reminded me of my days at the butcher shop, where I would have to clean these like bathtubs full of blood, yeah, and it was just crazy and I like and so I would always use some form of bleach and then mm-hmm. it was some sort of like ammonia based sanitizing mm. solution afterwards. It was proper in health code and stuff. I don't that's just what I remember because you had to like make sure to rinse it after you use the bleach mm-hmm. and then wait a couple of minutes and then you could use the sanitizer. Mm. So you didn't create this huge toxic gas yeah. that would kill you.
1: <laughs> yeah, we didn't do anything with ammonia. Okay. That one's that one's also pretty complicated. We'll get there someday. Yep, might have to distill some urine for that. Ooh,
0: well now you had a bunch of bobcat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening today. I know. The next true crime podcast I listen to or show I watch, I will have a new appreciation for what goes into the cleanup. Thank you to Jenny and Nate from Scene Clean. They were tremendous hosts. Their personability and professionalism as we navigated these more sensitive topics was incredible. Thank you to Andy and the team for making this happen. If you want to see how Andy's project really turned out in the scene they created to test his chemicals, check out How to Make Everything on YouTube. If you want more details and show notes, please head over to makeeverything.tv forward slash simplycomplex. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at makeeverything.tv is our email. We'll be launching new episodes on a monthly basis. Thanks again for listening and subscribing. We look forward to talking with you next time on Simply Complex.